0: Welcome to When Everything Is Missions. When Everything Is Missions is hosted by Matthew Ellison, President of 1615, and Danny Spitters, Vice President of Church Partnerships with Pioneers USA. Make sure you like, share, and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Here are your hosts, Matthew Ellison and Danny Spitters.
1: Welcome once again to the When Everything is Missions podcast. I am Matthew Ellison, and I am joined by my dear friend and co-host, Denny Spitters. And we also authored a book together entitled When Everything is Missions. Of course, the podcast is named after the book. And we have a new book that is getting ready to come out. In fact, by the time this podcast airs, it might even be out in publication. It's called Conversations on When Everything is Missions, Rediscovering the mission of the church. And one of the contributing authors is with us today. Denny, why don't you introduce our guest?
2: Yeah, it's great to be together again. um, We are delighted to have Dr. Pam Arland with us today, and we're going to hear from her about her thinking and regarding her chapter in the book. Uh, Pam, could you please uh, give us a little bit of your background so our listeners can know a little bit about who you are?
0: Sure, I'd be happy to do that. I grew up in Kansas City, which is mostly in Missouri, by the way, and served as a field missionary for 10 years on the China-Afghanistan border, working with a couple of different minority people groups there. I'm a trained Bible translator, so I was working in Bible translation, and now I'm part of the international leadership team for all nations, and we have about 450 missionaries on the field around the world.
2: Wow, thank you so much for sharing that. That's very exciting because I know this gives you some real um, background to be able to kind of share your heart. And uh, your chapter is Acts 1-8 Sequentialism. Now, how does Acts 1-8 get connected to a word like sequentialism? Uh, First of all, Acts 1-8, so that our listeners all know if you could give that, and then How do you connect it to the word sequentialism? What does that mean? Because it really sounds complicated. How can you describe that connection in in simple terms that any believer can understand?
0: Right. So Acts 8 is one of the versions of the Great Commission in the scriptures. And it says that the gospel will be preached in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And so a lot of times people have interpreted that to mean it will be preached first in Jerusalem, and then when the job there is all done, then we'll go to Judea, and then when the job there is all done, we'll go to Samaria. When the job there is all done, then we'll go to the ends of the earth. And so that's where the term sequentialism comes, that people see it's first one, finish that job, and then go to the next one and finish that job. So that's what we mean by sequentialism.
2: Yeah, and When people think of that, just seems like naturally how the scripture there reads, that it's just about going, taking the gospel from place to place to place.
0: Right. And uh, I think it seems like a natural reading to a lot of people. Uh, But, you know, I'm a linguist by training and I love to get into a good grammar argument and people (laughs) get into a grammar argument here about whether it means first i mean does it really mean first we finish that whole job and then we go on to the next job and i don't think that the the grammar shows that and i don't think that the behavior of the early apostles and believers shows that either
1: yeah pam you, you write that the and versus then conjunction argument isn't the strongest and this is a quote from your chapter if the early church had taken this verse to mean that they would first reach Jerusalem and then move on, then the church would likely still be in Jerusalem today. Please explain this. Isn't the main goal of Christians to just bloom where they're planted, to bear fruit where they find themselves?
0: Yeah, and you know, I I would love to sit and debate uh, Greek conjunctions all day long, but I don't think most people would like to do that. I don't know. Um, But I actually just don't even think it's a strong argument, right? If we just look at the early believers, they clearly didn't wait until all of Jerusalem was reached and then to move on. Um, And in fact, we all know that all of Jerusalem isn't reached to this day. Um, So we would still all be just concentrating our efforts on Jerusalem even to this day, if that's how basically believers throughout time have taken this Verse, um, how they've understood this verse. Um, I do want to say that the the Lord meant for His name to be worshipped by all the peoples of the earth. That is where all of history is headed, and I think that the early church understood that, and we can see that in their behavior because they moved out from Jerusalem and then continued to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, even in their own time. Um, So I do want to say that I wish that more people would share Jesus in their workplaces right where they live. You know, man, I wish every engineer, every teacher, every lawyer, every janitor, every lawnmower would share Jesus in the midst of their workplace. But I don't think that all believers are called to bloom where they're planted. I don't think that that's what happened even to the founder of our faith, Abraham, right? I mean, the first thing that the Lord really said to him was, go, move yeah. away from this place where you were planted and go to a different place. And so I think that our God is a God of going and he invites many of us to go.
2: Yeah. Wow. That's a really, really great concept for, for, and it's pretty foreign, I think, for um, Western, especially North American uh, believers to consider. That seems really radical. Um, And another issue you bring to the surface is the one of gospel saturation in the sense that uh, a local church is easily stunted if their ministry is local only. And here's a quote that um, I think is a great sentence from your chapter. There is a deeper theological issue with saying that a particular local church is called to only local work. Why do you believe this is theologically dangerous?
0: Yeah, you know, I think it's theologically dangerous when we worship the Lord of the entire universe, the Lord of the entire world, and then we take and we set up little fences around our ministry and say, you know, the part that the Lord has called me to is only thus big. And even though he's the Lord of the entire earth, he only has this little part for me. And I think that that's actually damaging to our own hearts and it's damaging to our own spirit because we confine ourselves and our viewpoint and our understanding to only those who are right next to us, only those who are local. Whereas I think when we rub shoulders with the world and we see the beauty and the diversity of the world, that we're enriched and it makes our local churches much, much stronger to know what worship looks like halfway across the world, to have friends from halfway across the world. I think when that happens, that we actually have a peace that this earth longs for that comes forth within our local congregations by having global connections to a global God.
2: Wow, I love that. Um, So do you believe and think that And can you describe a little bit what it means then to be a global Christian?
0: Yeah, a a global Christian, of course, is concerned about their local neighborhood and their local community. Um, But we're not concerned with only our local neighborhood and our local community because we serve a global God. And so woe be it unto me if I do not love my neighbor? Okay, that is a clear command of scripture. I need to be loving the person right next to me without a shadow of a doubt. Um, But I also need to recognize that my neighbor can be someone who is very geographically distant from me as well. And so when we're globally minded, yes, we do love our neighbor who's right next to us. But we also recognize that we have neighbors and those are people who need to hear about Jesus all over the world. So we're thinking both locally and globally at all times as global Christians, I think. That's
1: good, Pam. So Denny and I have often encountered disciples, faithful church members, Pam, and they have this longing to go cross-culturally that God's tugged on their heart. They want to step out in faith and they're told, hey, you're already a missionary. You know, be a missionary in your context. Something you say in your chapter is that declaring that a local body will only reach locally denies the calling on both the goer and the sender. Maybe you could describe that a little further for us.
0: Yeah, you know, one of uh the men that I most admire in life is a man named George Patterson and he says that goers have itchy feet and goers are always saying let's get outside these walls while shepherds are saying let's stay inside these walls and so there's sometimes, you know, a little bit of misunderstanding. Honestly, that happens between people with different kinds of callings. But to say that a local body's only going to reach a local place basically is saying nobody in our church is ever going to have an apostolic calling. Nobody in our church is ever going to be called as a missionary. Nobody in our church is ever going to be called as a sender. And I honestly don't think that that's what local pastors mean to say. But we also know that where the Lord calls people to go, he calls people to send, right? Romans 10:15 says, how can they go unless they are sent? So that means that some of the people in our churches have a life calling to be a sender. And if we're not letting anybody be a goer, then we're missing their life calling. But we might also be missing the life calling of senders. Those people who pray, who come alongside, who give financially, who continually keep the needs of the world before us are those senders. And their calling is high and lofty. And we need to honor their calling as well.
2: I love that, that's a a really good analogy. I've often thought of it and uh, read others who have said it's a lot uh, like looking at the difference between settlers and pioneers, and that they're two different groups of people, but uh, we need both. We can't have everybody behind the stockade fence, but not everybody is going to hit the road and go out And go to a different place and cross a culture, a barrier of geography maybe, or um, of religion, and bring the gospel where it isn't needed. Now, I love that because is it possible that a local-only focus can actually lead to an unhealthy church? How do you see Sending and Going as being a part of a
0: healthy church? Yeah, you know, I think pastors really love the sheep well i think they love their congregations well and i'm so happy to see that but i think sometimes pastors have that settler mentality that you just mentioned and they don't really quite understand the pioneer mentality but i think any time we have within a local body Any voice that says everybody here is going to be this way, a way, and nobody's going to be any different, then that's not healthy at all. It actually takes the wide variety of different gifts to come forth in our local churches for our local churches to be healthy. And to the extent that we exclude any gift at all. Our local churches just aren't going to be healthy. And so our local churches need those people who are going to be the ones who are saying, let's get outside these walls to expand our vision, to expand our calling, because I can tell you something happens to the heart of a believer, even if we didn't participate in it directly. When we see a new person enter the kingdom for the first time, our hearts dance and sing just like the angels in heaven dance and sing. And so I want every local congregation to have the joy of being involved in new people coming into the kingdom because it contributes to the health and the joy of their very hearts.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful, Pam. I I love the dancing picture there. Uh, You know, pastors desire that their people would be engaged in the culture, that they'd be more evangelistic. Um, you know, that they would reach out more. And so they call them all missionaries in hopes that they'll motivate them. But something you say in your chapter is that calling everyone a missionary can actually destroy the uniqueness of the apostolic calling. Maybe you could share a little bit with our listening audience. What is that apostolic calling? Talk about it. And how can calling everyone a missionary be destructive in your view?
0: Yeah, you know, I I honestly think that everybody prays, but I don't think that everybody has a gift of intercession. I think that everybody in Christianity offers hospitality, but not everybody has a gift of hospitality. And so I think that everybody shares Jesus, but not everybody has an apostolic or missionary gifting. And to me, the apostolic gifting is different than sharing Jesus in your workplace Uh, For all the reasons that we know, it it means selling everything, picking up and moving, learning a new language, learning a new culture. Um, It involves a lot more adaptation and you're going to need the gifting, right, to go to that next level because you certainly can't do it in your own strength. And so I do think that we need to encourage people to share Jesus in their workplace. I would love for people to do that. But we also need to recognize that there's something different, something that's beyond when people move to these really difficult places on earth and have to employ new skill sets that we don't need when we share Jesus in the workplace. And so I want us to call forth that gift and honor it in the same way that we call forth all the gifts in the church and honor them.
2: Yeah, well, that's really important. Uh, we so easily lose sight of the fact that there are some unique roles that God is speaking to people's hearts about. And Matthew and I often cross the paths of people that are very discouraged because they want to serve in their church and they want to be encouraging and helpful. But whenever they bring up this whole idea that God might be speaking to them to do that very thing, cross a barrier of language, culture, religion, uh, and and maybe go, they're often discouraged by those leaders. What might you say to them if there's someone listening today that is kind of in that place, what are some things they should be focusing on?
0: You know, if they have an apostolic calling or desire to be a sender or a goer, And their congregation, their local church body just isn't encouraging it, then I would recommend that they start with those who are willing to say, hey, would you be willing to get together and pray for the nations, begin to find those who have a similar calling? And this isn't disrespectful to church leadership or their pastors at all. A lot of times we think, you know, if I can't get time on that Sunday morning platform or now the whatever the Sunday morning Zoom call or whatever people have, then there's no hope for me. But I just encourage people, go around and find people who are like you, that God is stirring something in their hearts for the nations and begin to do what you can do. And when we begin to do what is possible, the God of the impossible will step in. And Mm -hmm. he will take it to the next level. And he will take our our first baby steps of obedience, just please our Papas, right? First baby steps of obedience, please Mm -hmm. moms and dads so much. And they just pleased our Heavenly Father so much. And so if we'll just take some first steps of obedience with those who are also being awakened by Holy Spirit, I think he will open the way and open the door for more to be done, Later on, as we take those first steps.
1: Pam, you started off your chapter by observing. I think this is really interesting that many Christians in North America are bored and disengaged. And I believe that's true, but you end with this idea of hopefulness and you talk about a people awakened to their identity in Christ and they see that global identity and that global belonging. So I'm not just a a disciple of Jesus, but I, I'm a part of this family of God that's global in nature. What does it look like to move from identity in Christ to a global identity and belonging?
0: Well, you know, I feel like we tell people on the one hand, you're made to be a history maker. You are designed to be an earth changer. You're designed to have the power of the Lord of the universe in your hands. Now, just do these day-to-day things, and that'll be good enough. And and people get this major letdown because actually they know their identity, because we've taught them their identity, but then we don't give them any practical steps to help them follow through on it. And I think it's so important to know not only does God empower us, but he is actually okay with our failures. He's okay with our false starts. And I think that when we have that in mind, then we can feel free to dream with him and take on really big, audacious plans that are way too big for us. And to know that we may actually mess up and fail along the way, but his adoration of us never changes. And that alone, right, is crazy. Like, how could he adore us? We should be adoring him, right? (laughs) The fact that he loves us that much is just crazy beautiful and crazy wonderful. And so I actually think that when we know who we are, we will not settle for small things. And I don't want to say that raising a child is a small thing. It is not. Okay? I don't want people to think that being a faithful engineer is a small thing because it is not. Um, But I don't want us to think I'm only this. Therefore, I'm only going to dream this much. I want us to think. I'm an engineer with a child and the entire earth is open to me because the Lord of the universe knows my name and he knows who I am. And so I want to awaken us to who we are. And I think that will automatically awaken us to a global calling, actually.
2: Um, awakening people to a global calling is a really uh, very often hinges on encouragement and direction that you might receive in your local church body. What sort of word might you have for pastors, uh, for leaders, for elders? Um, How might they best encourage and engage those that God might be speaking to, to either be a proactive sender or somebody who really wants to go?
0: Yeah, well, of course, I I want our pastors to be teaching this message straight from the scripture, straight from the heart of God, and to do it often, right? It has to come every week, and pastors know this. If they want their congregation to change in a, a way, in any way whatsoever, it can't be just a, a one-off thing, but I think that then there's a step beyond that, and I think that then we, as any kind of a Christian leader have to commit our hearts to being people of yes. So that when God drops a new idea in the heart of somebody that we're leading, and that idea seems maybe even crazy to us, maybe nobody's ever heard it before, that when they come to us with this idea, our hearts are already positioned to say yes to that idea. Our hearts are already positioned to believe that Jesus can speak to the people in our congregations, to those that we lead. And sometimes we say, yes, but maybe we can get some training in this area. Or, yes, but let's figure this out as we go along the way. But we say yes to the dreams of Jesus that are planted in people's hearts and then brought to us. And, you know, I'm just going to tell you, sometimes those dreams that people have are inconvenient and cause me a lot of work. But <laughs> I say yes to them because I think that they come from Jesus. And in the end, It has always been good to say yes to what to the ideas that people are bringing to me as a leader through the different people that I lead.
1: Thank you so much for the positive emphasis. Absolutely, Pam. You know, Pam, I'm going to get a little wonky here. You said, you know, people probably don't want the Greek and I'm no Greek scholar, but uh, the conjunction there, Greek, we started talking about Acts 1, 8 sequentialism, Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, so forth. It means in addition, both also in conjunction with. So um, thank you, Pam, so much for being with us today and for really clarifying something that is just so important. You've been a blessing to us and I trust you've been a a blessing to our listeners as well.
0: Well, thank you. I've enjoyed being with you guys today. God bless you. Before you go, visit our website to learn more about when everything is missions and order your copy today. It is www.wheneverythingismissions.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like, share, and subscribe so you don't miss one. The When Everything is Missions podcast is presented by 1615.